This month, uh, we're talking about some foundational, really what we're doing is walking through the first chapters of Genesis to see what we were created for. Who were we created to be? Next month, we are going to um, uh, talk through some of the foundational pillars, values of Polaris, what makes us unique. Um, incidentally, the second Sunday of September, which I believe is the 13th, Big Cleave, if you're familiar with Polaris, Big Cleave, who was a pastor of one of the churches that we helped get planted in uh, Cleveland, he'll be here to share with us um, on the second Sunday of September. Um, after that, in October, we're going to get into the book of Acts, which is like the history of the early church, um, all about how they lived, what they expected, and so we ourselves as followers of Jesus can know how to live and what to expect. This morning, we are going to talk about uh, something that is at one of my highest values. It's right there in the creation story, and that is uh, the, the high importance of being authentic, uh, of having a kind of spiritual authenticity. Uh, we are who we are, and we're open about who we are, and we're striving for greatness. We're not pretending, and, um, and, and I see the devastating effects of spiritual inauthenticity all over the place, and I've certainly from time to time seen it in my own life. And so to get us ready uh, for, for such a deep topic, we, we probably need to relax a little bit and, and have a glass of Pepe, the Pepsi alternative, and then we'll go for some chicken at uh, OFC, and then afterward have some coffee at Stars and Bucks. All apparently real products and places and obviously cheap knockoffs. So, you know, thought we'd think a little bit about the real thing versus the cheap knockoff. Now, Stars and Bucks, I've actually been there and seen that. That's in uh, Bethlehem, um, just outside of Jerusalem. I, I saw it in 2011 when I went to the Holy Land, and I desperately wanted to break away from the group and buy one of those cups there, the Stars and Bucks, but I was like afraid to leave my group in Palestinian territory. So I just thought I'll just, you know, keep a picture of stars and bucks. Um, yeah. So anyway, obviously there are the real thing and there are knockoffs all over the place. And, and nowhere is that more true than in the world of church life and Christianity. There are real things and then there are fakes. And sometimes it's not easy to tell the difference between the, the two. And so obviously the question to ask today is, uh, which category do you fit into? Um, authentic or fake? Now, we were made to worship God and walk closely with Him to be great friends of God, and to live a lifestyle that honors God. So as we get this started, let me ask you something. How many of you have been through a season, at least one season in life, where you were not as close to God as what you wanted to be? If you were not as close to God at some point in your life as what you wanted to be, and my hand is up. Okay, so that's pretty much everybody. Okay? So we're all in that together. Now, how many of you have gone through seasons of life 
where you knew that your behavior, that your lifestyle did not line up with the lifestyle that you really wish that you had or knew that you should have. Could be your attitude, your thought life, uh, maybe some actions uh, in secret, where, where you went through a season or two where your lifestyle was not all that pleasing to God. That is nearly everyone here. So what we can all agree on is that, is that we are not always extremely close to God and sometimes we go through seasons where our attitudes and thought lives and our lifestyles don't quite line up. So we're all in this together. It's called being human. The issue is how do we respond to that? Do we treat it like a problem and do something about it? Are we honest about it with ourselves and with others? Or we can fake it. We can hide it and we can fake it. Because the problem isn't really going through those low parts, those valleys. The problem is when we ignore it and fake it and pretend instead of doing something about it. All right. So what I want to do is I'm going to go back to Genesis, and I'm going to walk through Genesis 3 today. We're going to look at where this whole authenticity, inauthenticity, uh, where things got derailed. Now, I want you to know that, that I'm, a, I'm a creationist. I buy into Genesis 1 through 3. I don't think that you have to do so to be a follower of Jesus. I don't think there's going to be a test in heaven that if you want to get in here, you've got to believe that, you know, seven days and, and all that. I'll admit that the first three chapters of Genesis require faith. It's a stretch of faith to believe that some kind of serpent talked to a woman, you know, into eating a piece of fruit. Some of the other things in Genesis 1 through 3 are a stretch of faith. But one of the reasons I take the creation account literally, and more specifically the serpent slash sin account literally, is because it so brilliantly captures the dynamics of sin and our knee-jerk reaction to our sinful condition. So let me walk through this and then we'll talk about the implications for a healthy spiritual life. And I'm actually going to move this stool here. So I don't have to keep walking over to it. Problem solving. Skills. I'm going to start with Genesis 2. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. He won't know what to wear. I will make a helper suitable for him who can lay his outfits out for him in the morning. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, wow. Now, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Most scholars say that's, that's idiomatic language in the ancient Hebrew for, wow. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. So Genesis 1 is this poetic overview of creation, including humans, and then Genesis 2 goes in for a closer look. Now, one of the important things to get in all this as we talk about authenticity is that there's a kind of awkwardness that is painted in Genesis 2 specifically in that there's this command, be fruitful and multiply. And most of us in the room know what that means. And then there's this emphasis on nudity that's there in creation. And there's an awkwardness, especially in church and in circles like this, when we talk about nudity and we talk about that command of be fruitful and multiply, and it's just kind of squeamish. But part of the whole thing in Genesis 2 is done to set up the fact that in God's creation, there was never a need to cover anything up. There was nothing to be, un, to, to be ashamed of. Adam and Eve were comfortable in their own skin, literally, in front of all of creation. They were not unashamed. They were not, they were not ashamed. They were not embarrassed. Covering up came from guilt and fear and shame. Another way we could read this is the man and the woman were completely authentic and completely happy with who they were. There was no need to cover up anything at the beginning of creation. Now look what happened and tell me if this doesn't fit perfectly with what we see in the world and in our own lives. So we're at the start of creation. There is total authenticity. There is no need to hide anything. No need to cover anything up. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That's harsh, but like all things that God does with people, it seems to me that choice is important to God. We can receive something good from God or we can reject it. We can stay in a relationship with God or we can do our own thing. And God tells Adam, this and more are yours. But don't eat from that tree or you're going to die. You get all this, but don't eat from that tree or you will lose it all. The temptation, the temptation seems to be limitations versus total experience. Be content to love people, take care of creation, 
and walk with God. Ah, but there's a mystery box. It represents the things that you don't know, the things that you aren't allowed to do. Adam, do you want tropical paradise, friendship with God, eternal life, the command to multiply, or the mystery box? And think about how often the mystery box, the extra 10%, gets us. We humans will sacrifice the 90% for the 10% that we don't have all the time. We are suckers for the mystery box, aren't we? It's frustrating. Well, here we go. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, no, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They hid from God. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Now, up until this point, there was total authenticity in all creation. And there was total openness with no guilt and no shame. But what's the first thing that happens when sin and shame enter the equation? There's hiding now. They hide from God. They cover up the things that they're ashamed of. The first way they cover up is that they avoid God as much as they possibly can. They just go hide from Him. So that's big thing number one that sin does. We hide or avoid God as much as possible. And big thing number two is they make stuff to cover up or hide the things they're ashamed of. So Adam and Eve hide from God, and then they make stuff. They sew leaves together. They make stuff to cover up and hide the things that they're ashamed of. And now inauthentic life has entered creation, and things are now way off. But there's more. Verse 11, And he, God, said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, when God starts questioning you, it's to squeeze. He knows. It's not for his benefit. The man said, the woman you put here with me. 
She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So in addition to hiding from God and covering things up that they're ashamed of, Adam is now going for big thing number three. Blame. Adam first blames God for making Eve. And then he blames Eve because she led him astray. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman said, that serpent, he deceived me and I ate it. So there are literally four characters in the Bible. God, Adam, Eve, serpent. Three out of the four get blamed within seconds. Blame, a big part of the shame and guilt equation now. The one thing that doesn't happen is for Adam or Eve to stand up and confess their sin to God and take ownership. So our sin creates the need for us to posture, to adjust our position in response to our guilt. We hide, we cover up, and we blame. We avoid the authenticity we were made for by hiding, covering up, and blaming You aren't close to God. Fake it. You have skeletons. Hide them. When all else fails, judge other people and put the attention on them. We all do these things in varying degrees. And sometimes there are so many masks and layers from over the years of hiding that we don't even know who we are. We don't even know that we're covering up or living inauthentic lives because we're so good at wearing masks and at pretending. And that robs us of our God-given beauty as humans. It robs us of our freedom that we were created by God to enjoy. It robs creation of our true selves that God saw in us and sees in us. Everybody loses When we live in authentic lives. Now here's a list of some things. Just to get practical with this. Because that's a lot of theory I know. Here are a list of some things that I've noticed in my life. And in the lives of other people. Some I've heard. Some I've read. Some I've had confessed to me. These all strike a chord as things that we do. That are not authentic expressions of friendship with God but are instead ways that we try to cope with our own sin and brokenness. So remember, we see that we're not as close with God as we'd like to be or should be. We see and we know that we have secrets. And instead of responding authentically to fix it, sometimes we do these things. Sometimes we just blur the lines. We just justify behavior that we know is not appropriate, that we know doesn't honor God. So we kind of say, I'm okay, and you're okay. You're still rejecting your core convictions, but you are, are trying to find ways to justify those pockets of sin or addiction rather than be authentic that they shouldn't be there. We cover them up with justification. Another thing that sometimes we do is we judge. I'm not okay, but you're really not okay. Or sometimes I'm okay, and you're not okay. 
Regardless, we divert attention from our nakedness by pointing out how really naked somebody else is. Look at them. It lets us live inauthentically by creating a smokescreen for our own issues. This next one is very dangerous for followers of Jesus. We use religion while running from God. We use Bible knowledge. We use church attendance. We use ministry. We use rituals. We speak Christianese. We have pop Christian answers memorized to cover for our real doubts. In other words, we just pretend to do the things that people who are close with Jesus do so that we don't have to deal with the fact that we aren't very close with Jesus at all. Sometimes we help others deal with their drama to medicate our own. We get addicted to helping other people solve their problems so that we don't have to focus on how far we are from where we know we should be. Sometimes we do things to be seen so that people won't understand how far we are from where we know we should be. Our motives get all messed up. Sometimes we die to the wrong things and beat ourselves up. Like self-abuse. Feeling like we're offering up our own penance to make us feel better for our sins. It's the equivalent of the kid that says, he's caught and he says, I'm just bad, I'm just stupid, I'm just dumb. And he's not really confessing or she's not really confessing to anything. They're just trying to manipulate the accuser or the one who caught him. And sometimes we try to make ourselves feel like we've gained forgiveness by by just treating ourselves poorly. It's not healthy. Sometimes we do for God instead of being with God. We try to do a lot of the right kinds of things instead of... Now, I, 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 I get, for whatever reason, people generally enjoy confessing their sins to me. I don't go looking. And it is not uncommon when I'm in a group of pastors for pastors to just start piling on me. And it's like, ugh. But there's one thing in common. Many pastors are nowhere near as close to Jesus as they know they should be and have all sorts of sins. And, and I, you know, I'm right in this, in this group. But they do, 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 and they live at church and they pour themselves out into ministries and, and they do for God. And deep down it masks over the fact that they have not been with Him. And anyone following Jesus needs to be aware that what we're really doing is covering up how far away from God we know that we really are. Another way is just to live life without limits. Where we just get ourselves so crazy busy that we don't have time to think about the dark corners of our life, our deep embarrassment and shame and guilt, or how far away from Jesus we've gotten over the years. But if we stay busy, 
we can keep our mind off of that. Now I want you to know that as a leader and a shaper of Polaris Christian Church culture, one of my highest values, one of the building blocks most important to me, is that we have a church where you are, number one, free to be authentic. I want you to be able to put your hand up and say, this is the real deal in my life and it ain't pretty. But I also want to create an environment that in that authenticity, you pursue God's dream for your character to the highest degree. And we want to help you do that so that you can be authentic about your weaknesses but understand that they're not acceptable. That we're not using authenticity as an excuse to just tolerate less than God-honoring behavior because we want both authenticity and grace but the pursuit of a lifestyle that honors God. Now I've seen many, many times in Christians the devastating effect of inauthentic living. I've seen how it turns entire churches into theaters where actors play a role that they feel they have to play. And I'm committed to building an environment where we can be ourselves. Where we can acknowledge our brokenness and yes, our sin and have the space and grace and challenge necessary to become the elite spiritual athletes that we were created to be. I want you to be a friend of God and I want you to be a bright light for Jesus because of your character. And I don't want you to tolerate anything less than that and I don't want you to feel like you have to pretend that you have that when you really don't. Now I want to talk through the right posture to have before God as we commit to a life of authenticity. I want to go back to the creation account. It says the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And he clothed them. He said, now that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So this wasn't a free ride back to paradise. It wasn't like God said, oh, no big deal. There was very real consequence for sin. Sin matters and it's a big deal and it always puts distance between us and God. The bad moral choices and character flaws that we harbor fight against who we were created to be. They just do. Adam and Eve were separated from God's original dream for them, but God still nurtured them and refused to give up on them. He made them clothing. He's committed to the relationship. God sees you for who you are. He's committed to the relationship. Ultimately, even though it was completely humanity's fault, God stepped in to redeem creation through Jesus. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. Since we've now been justified by his faith, or by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life 
Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been or received reconciliation. And he goes on. Bottom line, what he's saying is this. Through Adam, everybody failed. Because of our sinful tendencies, everybody failed. But because of Jesus' death, because of God's love for the relationship, he paid the price for that failure. And here's my point. The only reason any of us have a right to stand in the presence of God is because Jesus paid our death penalty for us. So this whole idea of earning anything or don't pretend to be anything because it's not that thing that makes you right with God in the first place. It's only the death of Jesus. And so the first way to posture before God is, is living in his grace and realizing we're only here, we're only at the table because God provided the forgiveness. That's the first thing that we need to do to get real with God is I am sinful and the only reason I'm even in the room is because God paid the price for my sins on the cross. So there's no need for us to hide. There's no need for us to blame. There's no need for us to try to look better than we are. We just live in forgiveness and serve other people. We walk with God as best as we can. Now I'd like to close uh, with just kind of paraphrasing a quote from a really good book on the subject called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a horrible title for a book, but it's a really good book that really deals with this stuff. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Moses was a murderer. He was. It's in the Bible. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a racist. Jacob was a liar. John Mark deserted Paul. Elijah burned out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. These are like stained glass saints in the Bible. (laughs) Thomas doubted. Moses had a temper. Timothy had ulcers. And all these people send the same message that every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts and strength, is weak, vulnerable, and dependent on God and others. We ain't much, right? As a church, we're standing here with God only because of Jesus' sacrifice that he paid for our sins. I'm not up here because I'm some spiritual giant. I promise you that. My wife can promise you that. And Marcus is not up here because somehow he's earned his way through some amazing feats of spiritual whatever. We're broken and we have a lot of weaknesses and Jesus paid for those sins and so we're here to celebrate that. And tell the world that that same grace is available. And let me just get real practical right here. So what? There's a spectrum. We all know we're not as close to Jesus as we want to be. And we all know that we have areas in our life that we're not real proud of. And attitudes that we're not real proud of. And as I said before, if you don't see any fault in yourself, go with pride. We can either fake being awesome. We can fake spirituality. Or we can pretend to be normal or be normal and just hide our sins. So we don't fake spiritual giantness, but we also don't get real about our sins. We hide them. Or we use authenticity to enable a really lousy spiritual life. I'm just authentic. I'm a mess and and I have all these lists of sins, but hey, I'm honest. Okay? Or we can be honest and aspire 
to closeness with Jesus and a character that honors God in every corner of our life. So what I want to challenge you to do is get real about where you are on that spectrum. Do you fake greatness? Do you hide stuff? Do you use authenticity as an excuse to live less than what God wants for you? Number two, I want you to commit to nothing short of friendship with God and a lifestyle that fully honors Him at every level. And number three, I want you to commit to confessing everything to God and to someone that you trust. In other words, no more secrets. Whatever it is that you're sitting on, that you're hiding or have hid, that you commit to no more secrets. We go before God and we confess our weakness. And we're going to give you a chance to do that right now. During, uh, I just want you to listen to this next song and, and, and take some time with God. But beyond just that, I want to challenge you. And I know that this can be miserable. But confession is a key to breaking patterns. Confession is a key to cleansing in Scripture. The Bible says if we confess our sins, God will cleanse us. I want to challenge you to find somebody you trust and lay it out. Let's pray. Father, somehow you see us as we are and you love us. And I don't know how in the world you see me as I am and still love me. Um, But I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to believe the scriptures. I'm going to believe that Jesus died for all of my shortcomings. And that's the only reason I can stand here before you. And you see all of our weaknesses and all of our sin. And with that sin in mind, we confess to you that we are not all right. We are sinful and broken and, and we lay out those sins specifically. And I want to pray today that you would give us the name. Who is it that we can go to and break our silence? Because we want to get serious about getting that junk out of the corners of our lives so that we can be close to you, not hide from you, and live a life that honors you because you deserve it and we want that kind of authenticity. We want that kind of freedom. We want that kind of joy in life. In Jesus' name, amen.